Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 27 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show for you guys. A little bit of uh, news and election stuff at the top. Our interview is with Addison DeMora, a uh, hash connoisseur, uh, lab testing pioneer, and uh, founder of 800 Pound Mantra, a cannabis consulting firm. Uh, Addison DeMora is the the interview and uh, in cultivation, strain of the fortnight grow tips q a and more so stick around episode number 27 of grow bud yourself sponsored by excelsior extracts we'll be right back all right as always thank you to dj jacques and winstrong for the tune uh here we are episode 27 i am danny he is mike g and uh, here we are. <laughs> that was smooth, man. Well, hey. Uh, <laughs> but we are here. That's true. So, yeah, can't argue with that. And uh, this is episode 27. So thank you guys for, for tuning in. Yes. Uh, we got a great guest for you guys, Addison DeMora. Yeah, excellent interview with our old friend Addison DeMora. And, uh, and of course, uh, this is a Fortnite week. We have Strain of the Fortnite, so you don't want to miss that. Also a great uh, tip coming up in the cultivation segment. So, yeah, really solid show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, things are, are getting down to the wire. Yeah. You're referring, I think, to the election, right? Yeah, just in general. Yeah, to the election for sure. You know, it's interesting. But we, you know, we're a cannabis show, so we primarily, you know, want to want to get people in the know about pot. And and there there is cannabis on the ballot in 2020. That's right. Uh, a number of states uh, are voting on the ballot for uh, different types of you know recreational or medical. So you know, definitely hoping to see good turnout in those places and and some progress being made. Yeah, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey. And uh, South Dakota all have recreational initiatives on the ballot. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And New Jersey being so close to where we are. And people should know that, you know, you got to flip the ballot over. Uh, The question is on the back of the ballot if you're in New Jersey. Uh, So be sure to flip your ballot over and fill that out uh, in favor of uh, recreational adult use in New Jersey. Because then, you know, New York, Connecticut, they'll all fall, fall, follow suit. And, uh, you know, we'll have some progress up here in the Northeast. Yeah, people are really looking at Jersey as sort of a, a, the domino here. And like Dan said, you can get New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island all coming in. And so there's estimates in Jersey that uh, by 2024, they could be bringing in as much as $950 million a year in sales. So almost a billion a year in sales in Jersey. But that's Amazing. just Jersey. Amazing. And, yeah, so you know, you bring- Maine just just started uh, legal rec sales uh in the last you know i guess couple fortnights or, or so yeah. in the last fortnight and uh yeah and even in maine which is you know not a hugely populated state uh they took in something like a quarter of a million in that first uh first push yeah they had a great opening weekend uh, as dad mentioned um it was a long weekend i think that was what columbus day 
because they started October 9th. So right. They made they made a good amount of money. There were only uh, six stores, I think, opened on opening day, although I think nine have licenses to operate. So that's going to increase. Now, the prices I heard were a little high, you know, because there was a bit of a, a demand. You know, supplies aren't quite meeting demand just yet. Yeah, and we cover that actually in uh, Northeast Leaf Magazine. Uh the issue that should be out by the, you know, pretty, pretty soon, our November issue, uh, will be out and it's, uh, you know, it's there for free at neleafmag.com. You can read that, uh, coverage of the first, you know, opening day of, of, of rec sales in Maine and, you know, Vermont also, uh, you know, passed, uh, their, their rec through, which the governor did not veto. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's good news too. Yeah, so people who may not follow Vermont, they they legalized recreational cannabis a couple of years back, but they they never um, they never legalized sales there. There's no tax and regulate plan, and they've been working in the legislature to to make that happen. They finally got a bill through uh, the House and the Senate there, and as Dan mentioned, Governor Phil Scott at last decided not to veto it, so Vermont will start uh, recreational cannabis sales, and it looks like it's going to be about uh, 2022 before that that starts, but very exciting. Indeed. The Northeast is becoming a powerhouse here, huh? Absolutely. That's why it's great that, uh, you know, we have a magazine that, that's covering the region and, and keeping people, you know, up to date on all these changes that are happening so rapidly. Yeah, for sure. And just one last note on New Jersey before we wrap up our little news section here. It really looks like that has an excellent shot at passing. Uh, polling has consistently found between 61 and 66 percent of people in favor of legalizing recreational cannabis in the Garden State. So there you go. Awesome. Well, but but please get news. out and vote because, yes. you know, we need to actually make that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so uh, that's a little bit of a look at what's going on in the world of weed here. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, we have an excellent show. So uh, what do you think? Should we maybe get started with our um, interview with Addison DeMora? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, our old pal Addison, uh, he is a um, hash connoisseur uh, and you know multiple-time Cannabis Cup judge, uh, co-founder of Steep Hill Labs, uh, years ago, one of the first, uh, you know, pioneers of lab testing cannabis, uh, you know, on a, on a large scale, and now the founder of 800 Pound Mantra, uh, a new consulting firm. So we're going to talk to uh, Addison about uh, all of those developments and, uh, you know, what he's got going on and hash and much more after these messages. Hey, you guys, this episode is brought to you by Excelsior Extracts and their incredible THC-infused relief rub. Uh, and now this stuff really works. And uh, I know it works because it's made by our friend Outcast, and she needs very, very strong topicals. Uh, so the relief rub is the strongest topical I've ever tried. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, all one word. Uh, DM them for info on the relief rub if you're interested. And uh, give them a follow. Uh, they're great people, and they grow great cannabis and make great products. So thank you to Excelsior Extracts. Now back to the show.
All right, welcome back. And uh, we have a great guest for you guys this week. Uh, it's our old friend, Addison Demora. Addison, welcome to the show. Danny, how you doing, brother? Good to be here. Great, great. Uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, your early early experiences with cannabis and how you got interested in, in uh, cannabis and hash. Uh, I have older brothers. So <laughs> luckily, yeah, I have two. Uh, my oldest brother is uh, 16 years older. And my second oldest brother is 11 years. So uh, those guys were well on their way. And I was just kind of, what's that green leafy stuff? And, <laughs> you know, and, and kind of found my way and then had them to sort of guide me and, and line me up and help me out. So uh, it kind of started for me, it started in uh, 1988. And uh, my brother fronted me an eighth. And, uh, you know, I'm like, what do I do with this? And he's like, roll as many joints as you can. So I rolled as many joints as I could out of it. And then uh He's like, go sell them for five bucks. And I fucking sold them for five bucks. He came back with all the money. And he's like, this is for me. That's for you. Here's a quarter. And, you know, just kind of started me off. So that was 88. And then, uh, you know, in 98, I uh, moved to California. From Massachusetts? Yeah, from Massachusetts. So originally uh, a, a mass hole like, uh, like myself. Yep. I was uh, born actually <laughs> in Taunton, Mass. And then uh, grew up uh, there in southern Massachusetts, New Bedford, taught in Massachusetts and then eventually right around high school settled uh, probably like just before high school settled up uh, in Newton. So yeah, so did that um, 98 left there and, and uh, got into California. And when I came to California, it was for snowboarding. I uh, came here to, you know, pursue uh, a snowboarding career and actually was able to get on some, some teams and did some stuff here and then got right into repping uh, and working for uh, as a rep for some of the companies. And then that whole world and that whole industry is just engulfed in cannabis. Uh, so I sort of uh, integrated really well. And then before I knew it, I had, you know, a snowboard company giving me a van, paying for my gas. And then all the snowboard shop owners all, all smoked weed or the people that worked there smoked weed. So it was like I'd go do my demo for DC shoes and then sell a bunch of weed to everybody. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of like, you know, California culture. Uh, and that was around 99. Uh, you know, in 2001 or so. And then uh, in 2000, and then in, uh, what was it? Uh, I'd say it was in 2008 is when we launched Steep Hill. So Yeah, you are, uh, you know, a co-founder of Steep Hill Labs, um, which was, you know, one of the original sort of, uh, you know, uh, lab testing facilities to be in multiple states. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, in 07, uh, the end of 07, beginning of 08, uh, David Lampack, myself, uh, we came up with the idea and the concept and uh, I guess, the, you know, went to Steve D'Angelo and showed Steve uh, what we were thinking. And Steve put us into Harborside and allowed us, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to test the cannabis that was there. And at the time, Harborside was just the biggest, you know, baddest monster on the planet. Um, so it was kind of cool. You know, initially Steve believed in it and, and we were getting paid to to not know what we were doing uh, <laughs> and just destroy a bunch of weed and, and uh, you know, fuck everything up for a long time. And then we got some chemists in there. You know, we had the idea. Uh, we were both growers, both guys in the cannabis industry. I had just dealt with a, a dispensary that I had gotten raided. Uh, and unfortunately, I'd gotten a case. So uh, Rob Rach was uh, my attorney and also David's attorney. And he said, hey, you know, why don't you guys get together? Uh, and Rob was helping me out, too. He was paying me as the director of the Medical Cannabis Association at the time. Uh, and David and I were working on some stuff for them. And we, we just kind of came up with a, a revenue stream based on, you know, the cannabis industry, something that could be done that's not being done yet. 
And at that time, there was no testing. Uh, there was one project that I think Dale Geringer was involved in uh, with uh, Jeff Jones and a bunch of other Oakland sort of, you know, cannabisites. And those guys had tried to test uh, some edibles in the form of uh, a bang milk. And of course, milk's got so much fat in it, uh, you're going to have a hard time separating the THC from the fat. So they didn't have the right methodology to do that. They did the tests and nothing came back. And they were just like, you can't test weed. Uh, the DEA has it figured out. And it was like me and Dave are just stubborn assholes. And, uh, and unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of respect for those guys at the time. So we were just like, these dudes are dumbasses. And we just, uh, we kind of sat down and, and tried to figure it out. And I mean, I got to give it to David. He's a smart bastard and uh, was able to socially engineer and we got a chemist and then really cool thing happened. Uh, uh, John Gilmore, along with Debbie Goldsberry, uh, funded uh, Paul Daly, the legendary Paul Daly, to come in and uh, help set all our methodology and dial us out. So it's you know to be connected to Shulgin and Daly and those guys that way is incredible. Uh, it's kind of a we were blessed in the sense we were at the right place at the right time, and uh, you know cannabis counterculture just kind of wrapped around us. And through Debbie's relationship with John Gilmore uh, through Sun Systems. I don't know what that cost or what they did, but they made sure Paul was there and uh, Paul lent his time and energy to us. And, and that guy's been, you know, he knew how to quantify active compounds in his sleep. So he came in and set the methodology for Steep Hill. And that's kind of how we really legitimized and got started. And we're able to start giving test results that were accurate back to Steep Hill or to Harborside and BPG. And, and then it was just at that point, once we were able to prove concept and show people that you could test cannabis for actives like THC, CBD, um, I think we were the first to detect CBD in the cannabis supply in California, uh, the first to do potency of any type, the first to do any pesticide testing, any residual testing on concentrates, uh, a lot of firsts, a bunch of different uh, milestones in that sense. But then since then, it's been, you know, really amazing companies and you just see these guys coming in now. And um, so it's nice to be a founder of something like that and kind of be involved in it. Uh, I always say that like someone else was going to do it, you know, some, some other lucky bastard was going to pick that hundred dollar bill off the ground. Uh, but you know, we, we pushed through and got it done and it's easier now to say, uh, that it was simple, but I think back then it was 2008, George Bush was raiding dispensaries with uh, aggressive DEA action. And at the time people didn't want to own a dispensary, never mind a lab that tested cannabis for dispensaries. So it was kind of a crazy fucking thing to do. There's a lot of pressure at the time, but we were just, like I said, we're just stubborn assholes. And, you know, I'm a mask guy. Dave's a New York guy. So it was just kind of like these California dudes don't know nothing. And uh, uh, luckily, you know, we got the help and the grace of all those other people and it worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of times the, the you know, you know, when you're kind of ahead of your time or when you're pioneering something, you know, you go through, you know, the difficult processes that end up being much easier for, you know, the, the companies that come after. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, you guys definitely did a lot of pioneering. You did a lot of, uh, of the uh, lab testing for our cannabis cups at that time for, yep. for high times. Um, and you did some judging as well. A lot. Uh, yeah. Over in Amsterdam with us yeah. uh, over the years. We did and testing then, in Amsterdam. Remember we brought the Fonda right. can over. <laughs> that's right. That was, yeah, that was brand new to everyone over there. Crazy. Um, and, yeah. and that whole Quanacan technology, being able to bring that, um, you know, overseas and actually have, you know, lab, lab results for Dutch cannabis was pretty amazing. That's, that's now a technology that's actually like purple. Uh, you know, there's a company that has a little tiny handheld NIR 
that you can use for instant testing. That's using the same uh, same stuff that we developed and you know the stuff that we were doing. So it's cool. You know, it's actually rad to see to see these guys still doing stuff and keeping it going. I, I myself nowadays uh, just stay away from testing, and and unfortunately, I stay away from steep hill too. It's kind of you know, it's one of those things. Right. And yeah, that basically fell by the wayside for you. Um, now, over those years, since since that happened, so many changes have happened uh, to cannabis concentrates. And I know, you know, you're a big fan, obviously, of uh, of hash and, and, and rosin and I guess all the different ways that, that we, you know, we can concentrate hash. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your relationship with hash and, and, and that type of the technology, how that's changed? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, at Steep Hill, uh, I primarily handled sales, uh, all the branding, uh, sales and, uh, you know, a lot of the concept stuff for the company and, and that on that side. So in that world, you're doing a lot of biz dev and working with a lot of people. And luckily, you know, met with you guys and was able to do uh, just be ex- exposed to uh, um, a bunch of different stuff in all these different places with you guys. But then uh, it just sort of sparked uh, the love that I already had for hash and, and what I was kind of getting into. And as we brought people on and things got more, uh, you know, sophisticated at the company, my, my job was really to do biz dev and just work on business development. And that meant like, you know, when people came in with concentrates or other stuff, you'd get to know them better and, and figure out what kind of, you know, how their companies worked and what they were doing and, and just sort of making friends and being an ambassador for the company. So uh, it was awesome. And, and in that, you know, five or six years of time that I got to do that, I really got able to, you know, to be exposed to some of the best makers in the world and some of the best places where hash was being made uh, and just, you know, had access to a lot of rad stuff. So uh, my interest was sparked and, and I, it started me on this journey into, um, you know, from wanting to write a book about hash and getting into that. And then finally just being like, I'm not a writer and write a fucking book. You know, so I want to do this stuff and then, and then shifting gears. Uh, into, you know, then just getting into concentrates altogether. So, um, I mean, BHO uh, and working with BHO and just kind of getting into that was sort of the first thing and understanding separation and and how separation is going to work, whether it's mechanical or solvent separation. If it's done correctly, some people can't tell the difference. And, And, you know, even the best people can't tell the difference. And that's what I try to tell people sometimes, but they're not exposed to the stuff that you'll see when you're with Cuban grower or the stuff that you're going to see when you're with diamond Baron or, you know, any of these guys or nicotine or, you know, some of these guys have what you're seeing in the market. And then you see what they have in their jar mm-hmm. that they're not talking about methodology. That's not out things like that. So you, you kind of get exposed to that. And then nowadays we have these uh, equipment manufacturers that are really getting into the game that have a love for, uh, you know, equipment for, for building out what you need in the lab in order to really do things, you know, cause it went from, uh, you know, when rosin came on the scene, it was sort of the thing where it was like, Oh, we're pressing flowers. And now it's like, it's, it's kind of at the point now where you're looking at rosin jelly and you're seeing stuff that's not done with heat and you're seeing stuff that's done in ways that you wouldn't even believe. I mean, Tony, uh, Veruza and the shit that he's separation, you know, uh, and I see these kids online, they want to argue that um, BHO is not hash, or they want to argue that this isn't hash. And I'm like, hash is a concentration of active compounds in any way you want to fucking call it, that's then, you know, taken in and used and consumed. It's the concentration itself of it. So uh, unfortunately for some of you guys, you may not want to admit it, but if it's concentrated actives, it's hash. You know, that's, I wouldn't call an isolate concentrated actives because it's not 
the whole, it's an isolate. It's an isolated compound within what would normally be concentrated. So you got to kind of educate, um, but we're not going to go into that argument right now. That's a, a side note. But um, in, in the process, I've noticed that it's uh, these equipment companies have just gotten, I mean, the guys that love making hash have now been able to get with these equipment guys and really start to make a lot of great stainless equipment and a lot of straining and, and you know, uh, uh, rosin tech with the Hashitron. Uh, these guys now are able to make these mass, large size, large scale uh, processing equipment that could be used in a cold room. And there's space in that cold room to still run bags and still, you know, do the regular mixing. Why? Because those types of concentrate labs have a lot of different material and some material is going to be good only in the Hashitron. Some material is going to be good and it has to be hand done. And that's just what artisan hash making is. And that's what rosin has become. It's just artisan hash making to the fullest. And it's like watching DJs, you know, they're, they're, they get everything ready and they go in there and they can, they can literally watch, they can look at the plant in the room and tell you, yeah, this is a banger, you know, and they, and they know by not just, not just one thing, but many different things. And then in order to make that hash that they make, when you go from the room, it has to be taken down a certain way and it has to be put into a certain vessel. It has to be transported a very specific way and it has to stay at the certain temperature and it then has to always be at that temperature and then stored at a certain temperature. And then the people that work with it have to be within that temperature. To, it, everything has to be so perfect to finally make what then is a bubble hash that you then look at it and it just looks like what we used to, you know, the, when we first saw dry sift, you know, when Don and Aaron and all these guys were showing us dry sift and we're like, what the fuck is this? That's what you take. And you take dry sift and you press it and you make the most incredible uh, hash that you've ever had, you know, most flavor, but you can fuck that up. You can have the wrong plates. You can have the wrong temperatures. You could, everything could be wrong. So there's a lot that can go wrong. And it's the, the know-how, the, the fuck-ups that make it right. Uh, and there's only so many guys, I think, that are doing it that way. So it's, you know, hats off to those dudes. There's definitely, they've gotten with the equipment makers. The equipment makers have then up, up the level to what you can do. Um, but I don't think it's ever going to go, I don't think you're ever going to get to do large-scale production outside of, you know, you won't beat the guy with the, with the paddle. Um, <laughs> I just, I, you know, you're not going to beat the, I mean, you're not going to grab a hostess cupcake off the shelf. It's going to taste better than like Rosemary's cupcakes from down the corner, you know, because Rosemary's up at three and she's, you know, selecting the eggs and hostess is pulling rats out, you know, it's a fucking different, different gig. So, um, but it's come a long way, man. It's, it's insane at this point now where um, I remember like the best hash we smoked was finger hash that we got from, trimming and we'd be like everyone get away and we fucking <laughs> just smoke it ourselves and now it's like fuck you got jars of sift and press shit in your hands and it's just insane at this point or you know edibles to everything so it's it's come a long fucking way yeah absolutely and now um you recently founded a new company um a consulting and management firm yep. um tell me about this company it's called 800 pounds mantra yeah, 800 pound mantra. Uh, it's a uh, consulting management. Uh, you know, essentially, it's a branding uh, uh, company. Uh, we're, we're categorized because of banking reasons as a. Uh, technically, we are a merchandising company, so that's uh, what we are. But in reality, uh, what we do uh, beyond that is, uh, you know, we we figured out and work with uh, brands to help them navigate uh, the California market through manufacturing, distribution, 
Uh, we do social media management. We do a, a bunch of things that are fun to us that we can do well, uh, that our business development can then be monetized into. Um, you know, if you're in a place like California, what we realized is that we have all of these contacts and all of these relationships and friends that have these brands and these companies and they've worked so hard and they need business. You know, they need business to come in, whether it's brands to come in and be manufactured or brands to come through their distro and increase their ability to distribute to shops because of brand recognition. Uh, so we sat and we said, well, we know brands and we know guys. And, you know, so uh, right now, probably in about, I'd say another week, we'll be announcing a major legacy brand uh, in California that we're that we uh, are going to be working with uh, helping manage their manufacturing and their distribution. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, working with them to fill the conduit between the sales and some of the marketing that they're doing um, and just do in-state management for those guys. It's an out-of-state company. Uh, so we're starting there and we're just learning that, you know, and advice to anyone, you know, anybody who's like, I'm going to consult. The issue that you have is that you're giving away IP. You're essentially, you know, going to someone who needs a problem solved. You're solving it. You're bringing a gun to a knife fight. And then typically you're going to find people in that company that weren't able to accomplish that, become jealous of it. They don't like it. They're like, oh, why are you paying these guys to pay us? And so consulting is kind of a weird road. Um, and it's like, you know, I look at it more as like management makes more sense because we're able to apply what we know and everybody makes money. And by us applying what we know and being getting up every day and doing it, we're fishing in a sense, as opposed to, um, you know, consulting, we're just teaching and losing all of that IP. So uh, this works a lot better for us. Uh, it's kind of a shifting gears, but, um, and it's just more our lane. You know, we are good at hash. We're good at all those things. Uh, we've got, you know, our focus on what we do best. And that's, you know, in the hash world, in the marketing world, in the branding world, uh, and in business development in California. So we just kind of said, you know what, uh, what what's the best idea here? And I say we because it's not it's not just myself. It's Kevin, right? Uh, our, our old pal Kevin. Kevin it's Muse, my my best friend. Yeah. Uh, so Kevin's in the company. Um, he's essentially you know helping with uh you know with all of his experience from Raw and all the stuff that Kevin did there. He's able to help uh, with you know a number of the things I just talked about and uh, marketing and marketing, business yeah, business dev and all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, another uh, my partner in the company is uh, Kevin Flynn who's, uh, you know, was with Advance, was the president there. Uh, he's up in Canada, but just, you know, super good, uh, you know, mentor in business and, and somebody who's helped me understand a lot more about my own ability and potential in business itself. Uh, so it's like having a, a therapist and a mentor that lives in Canada that's above me that kind of, you know, helps me uh, navigate and do stuff. So, and he yells at me too. So that's uh, a good thing. So, uh, <laughs> and you and guys then, also, you help people with licensing yeah, and yeah. like all the hoops that you have to jump through, which you have already done, yeah. uh, you know, with other companies. Yeah, um, we, had, we had that experience. Uh, we, you know, about three years ago, I came down to California uh, from NorCal to SoCal. So got down here and started doing, uh, working with some, so under some licenses and getting, you know, ultimately took brands and developed them and got them into the market, navigated uh, all the legal, navigated all the rec, you know, all the recreational laws and uh, compliance, which is, you know, what they refer to. 
uh, and it's not easy. So you got to, you know, we got all that experience and, and, you know, figured out our labeling, our packaging, our testing, our logistics, everything. And we're launching some products into the market and gain that understanding. And yeah, so we do compliance stuff and we use the resources that we have in state to kind of make sure that we're getting, uh, you know, making the right decisions and, and consulting if we are on uh, what needs to be taken care of. And luckily, California is great. There's a website that has everything there. It's in pretty plain English and you can call just about any, you know, uh, California lawyer that's worth their weight uh, and, and navigate that stuff. So it's pretty simple. So if people have a business that and they want to break into the California market, whether they be, um, you know, edible manufacturers, uh, you know, people interested in, in starting a dispensary or a hash brand or something, they would come to you and you would help them basically develop their brand, their business, um, even, you know, with respect to uh, manufacturing and distribution and all those things you mentioned. Um, Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, California is the biggest market uh, and that's why I never left, you know, it's always just kind of waiting for uh, things to mature a bit. And, you know, Los Angeles has about 30 million people or some ridiculous amount of people that live in it. So this is kind of the, the main area I feel like where a lot of stuff is, uh, is wanting people want to launch stuff here. They want to get it into this market. So Um, you know, and even we have, we have some consulting that we do for Northern California brands that are looking to get a better understanding of Southern California, because, you know, a lot of production is up North, uh, not to say there's none down here, but most of the major production because of Humboldt and other things like that are up North. Those guys get that in figured out. And then they're like, huh, now we need distro, you know? So we, we help, uh, we have a great distribution network, uh, vital garden or vital distro. Uh, is actually Brian, our good friend Brian, who's got Vital. Uh, you have to have California is so big that you can't just have one distro doing the whole state. Uh, a lot of guys claim it; they say it. It's just even those guys have weak areas because our state's laid out in a certain way. Uh, you know, Zazzy's a great distro that works just in the toughest part of the state, which is like Shasta. You know, all that rough area. So uh, Taylor's up there doing a lot of great stuff, and we just have this great network of distro show. Uh, and show industries does all the stuff down south. Um, so it's just a, a strong distribution network throughout the whole state. So we have some some guys up north that are doing great manufacturing and production that don't have the distro. So we help do business development and introduce them into that uh, and and see where the business is in there. Uh, we're really selective. We, we only have so many hours in the week. So it's, um, you know, we, we're launching a few brands of our own, which is like this next step to, you know, figuring all this out and getting some brands in there that you're working with and you're managing things and you're kind of looking at it. Once you get to know it uh, and you know the partners that are there, it's easy to then come and say, hey, you know, we know how to make brands. Let's let's inject this one in. So um, we're actually about to launch a, a rosin. Uh, we're trying to launch and trying to put together uh, something for you know, the people like the, you know, we all came up in this business and, and we all know how purchasing habits are and we all know what it's like living on a budget. And, you know, we don't come from, uh, you know, trust funds or any crazy things. So we've always been, you know, a lot of guys that all work together, helping each other out uh, in this industry in California. So we want to try to give back, but also try to kind of figure out a way to, to put a brand in there. That's a price point rosin brand uh, that has just Real, we know solid strains that will produce. We know where those strains are. We know if we run them, they're going to do well. And we know that uh, the middle of the market really hasn't jumped into those strains because they're being sold in the higher end of the market. But there's a transition and there's new stuff coming in. So we can grab those strains. 
We know they dump. And we can put out those you know, five strains at a great price point for rosin as an entry uh, level for some people. And there's a lot of guys trying to do it right now, I think. Uh, there's different ways to tackle it. Um, we're trying to do it more on the relationship end and be able to kind of get everything knocked down as low as we can and, and get the production done uh, and then be able to deliver a price point product. So, um, And that goes really well with some of the high-end guys that we work with. Uh, from uh, We're about to launch the Baron. So the Diamond Baron, Rosin Baron brands, uh, my friend David, I've known forever, had to kind of deal with some crazy shit over the last two years. And uh, I've known him so well and know him so well and, and just love him to death. And uh, he drives me crazy, but uh, we're good friends. And I've watched sort of the situation that uh, unfurled and what happened to him. And uh, a lot of people speculate, you know, want to say or think whatever. But uh, re- in reality, what had happened was is he was doing his business and then got wrapped up or kind of pulled into a large uh, ring of uh, car theft bullshit that was going on. And him being a guy that owns a Lamborghini that was really into cars, uh, I think some people just kind of tried to associate the two and make a, a jump there. So after he uh, forfeited his vehicles to the fucking asset forfeiture bullshit, uh, they let him walk out of that case. And, uh, you know, luckily the brand has so much recognition and he's such a talented maker, knows what he's doing so well uh, that we were able to resurrect it and bring it back. So we're going to relaunch as The Baron which will be uh, a family of brands. So we'll do diamonds, rosin. Uh, we're going to do some flowers and some other products. So uh, we'll relaunch that and we're getting ready to do that. And there's some national stuff there and there's some uh, California stuff first. So uh, that's one of the brands that we're doing. And uh, yeah, we had some meetings this morning with some East Coast uh, guys that came out and we're talking with them about uh, coming out. And um, we also set up labs, you know, so we can, you know, if someone needs uh, any in any state, and they're looking to get into production that is the matching level of Diamond Baron or Rosin Baron or any of these high-end brands. Like that's what we, you know, we can come in and help them understand their production and what they have, uh, get an understanding of what their put through is and what they want and what they want to make. Uh, we can get in there and help them put those labs together and, you know, make them successful for them and help them make the right decisions from the beginning so that they can kind of be nudged on their way. Uh, we don't really want to sit down and manage uh, ongoing business. Like that's not really our thing, but, uh, coming in and helping, you know, we can lay SOPs and do all that great stuff and then do ongoing consulting, but we're definitely not looking to be, you know, long-term management for any, uh, anyone's, you know, big day to day, anything like that. So. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. Um, where do you see, uh, you know, the future of cannabis and hash going and what would be, you know, your advice for, someone who's interested in getting in the industry? Fuck. Uh, you know, first, I mean, I see it kind of going in the direction of uh, portable, smokable stuff. You know, it's like Peak just released that new larger Peak. Um, you know, AVD has uh, oscillating, you know, heat technology in their stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's uh, AVD has a couple products, uh, whether it's a disposable or, you know, screw in for the 510 and what it does is it heats from 1.8 to 2.4 ohms, and it just oscillates back and forth. So you don't get too hot. You don't boil your sauce or anything else. So I think kind of the future is this, uh, what everyone wants and what everyone's looking for is a more portable, uh, dab-impactable version. You know, I, I want to hit something that's in my hand on the go that can, you know, T-bow me like a regular dab can, but... Um, you know, I think that's coming. I think they're kind of, you're going to see more evolution in that. And I think too, uh, 
it's looking like um, the prices coming down on some stuff. I think that's kind of the next cool thing to happen because you're getting guys that are figuring out uh, more efficient production and things like that. So, uh, you know, that's the future. I think um, a lot of guys are real aggressive with that theory that they're, you know, going to have a dollar, one dollar pre-rolls. It's like, you know, there's certain things that marketing costs more than a dollar. So, um, you know, there's things that kind of uh, have to stay a, con- a constant. Um, but I think the, you're starting to see I, what I'd like to see is maybe a, a dance away from um, I'm going to sound like an old man for saying this, but uh, a dance away from like all the exotics that look the same. And I remember when weed looked different and it was like, it was okay. It's like weeds become politics now. And like, if your weed doesn't look like my weed, I have to hate you. Or if like you dab and I smoke weed, I have to hate you. And it's like, stop, like <laughs> just smoke hash and just fucking look like get high, give it away if you can. And don't be a dick. Those are the three fucking rules to weed. And that's follow those fucking rules and you're going to be fine. You know, like <laughs> make your, make all your decisions while you're high. That's the good one. Uh, share weed if you have it and don't be a dick. So yeah. Well, great advice. Uh, <laughs> and now how do people find out uh, more about uh, you and uh, 800 pound mantra? Um, what's the, you know, website, social media yeah. and all that. Uh, so Instagram is 800 LBS mantra. Uh, and that's uh, at, and then you can go to, uh, the, our webpage is uh, uh, just 800poundsmantra.com, and that's uh, 800, the number, and then lbsmantra.com. Uh, so if you want to follow me on social media, it's uh, Terpova uh, on IG. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Addison, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show. Uh, you know, we've been friends a long time. I think uh, we've seen a lot of uh, interesting developments and with more to come so yeah thank you and uh stay tuned for big announcements from 800 pound mantra uh about some big huge companies that uh are going to be part of that team and uh we will be back with more grow bud yourself all right welcome back and thank you to addison demora um very interesting interview yeah it was great to hear from addison you know we all go back a long ways and it's amazing uh, to you know just keep up with what he's been doing he was at the forefront of that industry you know at the very beginning and uh, very cool interview yeah definitely uh and now we are in the cultivation segment we're in the cultivation segment it has been a fortnight which of course means as always it is time for strain of the fortnight what do you have for us this week Let's do Larry OG Kush, the Larry OG. This is a very popular uh, Kush Fino uh, available from the Cali Connection, uh, actually, because Swerve was able to take the cut uh, in the SFV OG Kush F3 uh, and cross that with the Larry Kush clone. Um, So basically, you know, the clone originally famed Larry OG cut uh, was making the rounds in Southern Cali for years. Um, you know, definite favorite of Kush lovers. People love the Larry. Um, you know, it's that lemon fuel, pine saw kind of funk, uh, you know, diesel-y, gassy kind of thing about the OG. And, and the Larry really has all of that going for it. Um, and, yeah, so when you grow it from seed, if you get seeds from uh, from Swerve and from the Cali Connection, 
Uh, Larry will do some pretty serious stretching, uh, even after flowering is induced. Um, but it will make up for it with good yields. Uh, and you know, the, the bud that you get is very potent and, uh, very stinky. Um, so the strain grows very, very frosty. Um, the crystals are out to the ends of the fan leaves. Um, sometimes those fan leaves and some of the other leaves will start to turn dark purple, um, towards the end of, uh, you know, uh, ripening. And, uh, you might need stakes to support that the branches. Like I said, it does some serious stretching. Um, mites, spider mites love, uh, Larry OG. So, you know, you gotta always be checking the leaves, um, check, you know, for the, those telltale dots, uh, little yellow dots, and then flip the leaf over, look at the bottom of the leaf and you should see, um, the little mites, tiny mites running around. So, uh, you know, catch them early if they attack your plants and, uh, you know, deal with that as, as needed. But, uh, flowering time for the Larry OG, nine to 10 weeks. Uh, you know, if you want to learn a little more about it, uh, check out the, the Cali connection.com. And, uh, there you have it. The famed, uh, Larry OG Kush. All right. Strain of the Fortnite, the Larry OG Cali connection. Okay. So our listeners know that each week in this segment, you like to talk a little bit about something that can help people become better growers, improve their garden. It's sort of our, our weekly grow tip. So what would you like to discuss this week? So I'd, I'd like to discuss perpetual harvesting. And, you know, this is like a, a, a more difficult kind of style of growing, but also, you know, uh, very, you know, lucrative as far as, you know, you're just constantly harvesting plants. Um, so, the way that the, the that it's done is you just have to sort of stagger your plants. Um, you definitely need two different, uh, you know, either two different grow tents or two different sections inside a grow tent because you need two different light cycles. Um, you need a vegetative space and a flowering space at all, at all times. Um, it also helps to have a cloning area, uh, you know, in that vegging area where you can keep mother plants and clones. Um, so basically the way to break it down, the, the simplest way for me is, you know, you have your veg time and then you have your flower time. Let's just, you know, just to make things simple, call the veg time four weeks and the flowering time eight weeks. So now you have a total of uh, 12 weeks um, of growing and that's your full cycle from basically, you know, rooted clone to you know a month of vegging to two months of uh flowering and you divide that 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 12 weeks up uh you can do it let's say you know if you want to do every two weeks um then basically you know you have six uh you have plants in six stages of life you have plants just rooting as clones you have plants that are in the first two weeks of vegging plants that are in the second two weeks of vegging and then plants that are in the various uh you know, first and second and third and fourth two week period during flower. Um, so it does require a lot of work. Uh, some people do this by taking clones of plants before they start flowering. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that. Uh, I, I think it's better to have mother plants, um, and take the clones from the mother plants if you have the space to do that. Um, but again, you're, you're basically just cal you know, you're using a calculator 
to figure out your, your veg time and your flower time. And then you're dividing that those up and keeping plants in different stages. So you can make it more complicated and have 12 stages. Uh, you can make it a little simpler with six stages of each at two weeks apart. Uh, you could do three stages each three weeks apart, but basically, you know, that each of those weeks as you're harvesting, you're also taking clones for the next round. So you're constantly, um, you know, moving every two weeks, you're moving plants into uh, a different, basically stage of growth. Uh, meaning, you know, the first two weeks, second two weeks of veg. And then, you know, after they've vegged for that full month, they go into the flowering chamber and you'll have plants of all different, you know, sizes and stuff. So you have to deal with the heights. Um, and, and you also have to feed them differently as well. So plants that are, you know, in week six of flowering are going to be fed very differently than plants that are in, you know, week two of vegging. So it is complicated and difficult, but again, you're harvesting every two weeks. Uh, and you know, so again, uh, if you have the space to do this, I've seen this done, um, on large scales very successfully. Um, it is more work. Uh, but like I said, you will harvest, uh, substantially more, uh, than you would just going, you know, full veg, full flower, and then starting over every 12 weeks. So, uh, there you have it. That's perpetual harvesting. You just got to time it out, you know, the way you want it done. Um, and you know, you'll just be constantly harvesting and constantly taking new clones and, and filtering everything through that space, through vegging and then flowering. All right. Very good. Perpetual harvest tip. I'm sure that's going to help a lot of people out there. Um, okay. So now uh, we move on to our question and answer portion of the show. So uh, if you have a question that you'd like Dan to answer on the show, uh, let us know. You could reach us by email. That is info at growbudyourself.com. And you could also get us on social media and, and even at growbudyourself.com. Just go to that website. So lots of ways to get in touch. Uh, what do you say we get started here? Let's do it. Let's take some questions. Okay. So the first one here is from uh, X Factor, who writes, Hey, Danny and Mike. I love listening to you both on my way to and from work. I was hoping you could help me promote this amendment for recreational marijuana. Uh, the link is artruegrass.org backslash mission. Uh, thank you both for all your hard work. So this is a, a constitutional amendment, or it would be, in Arkansas for recreational cannabis. Yeah, I mean, I would 100% help promote that. Um... Uh, you know, a number of years ago, if you had asked me if there was a chance, you know, of Arkansas being one of the states that's going to legalize, I would have probably said no. Uh, but I've seen what's happened in Oklahoma with medical in Oklahoma. And, you know, it's a game changer. And I think some of these southern states are going to lead the way uh, once they start seeing the revenue and, and you know, the, the, uh, the fact that they can grow where they are. So um, certainly definitely support. Um, an amendment for recreational marijuana in Arkansas. Everybody check out artruegrass.org slash mission. You can read uh, the amendment and you can support the amendment and you can uh, spread the word. So uh, let's make sure that passes and uh, Arkansas legalizes. Yeah, absolutely. Got a little time there. So uh, let's make sure we throw our support uh, over there for Arkansas. We hope you guys get that recreational cannabis. Uh, thank you, X Factor. We appreciate the heads up there. And uh, let's move on to 
uh, Jonathan, and uh, he had a, a couple of, of emails, but he was wondering if maybe we weren't going to get to them. I just want to remind uh, all of our uh, uh, listeners who write in, we will get to your question. Sometimes we get a little uh, backed up. There's a lot to go through, but uh, just be patient. We'll get to, we'll try to get to everybody's question, make sure they get an answer. So uh, actually this one, rather than a question, it's a bit more of a suggestion. So Dan, why don't you take the listeners through what um, Jonathan suggests here? Yeah, this this was news to me. This is very interesting. Um, this is what he writes. Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, in listening to your podcast, I often hear you recommend to folks when using tap water, uh, leave it out in an uncovered container overnight to dissipate the chlorine. Um, yeah, and that's true. I do, I do recommend that. But he says, um, this used to be sound advice when chlorine was used in public water systems. However, many utilities, including the one I fall under, use chloramine. And chloramine is a combination of chlorine and ammonia. And chloramine has advantages, but ultimately it does make drinking water safer. However, chloramine does not dissipate anywhere near as fast as chlorine. Uh, plus, as it dissipates out of water, it tends to leave behind harmful substances like VOCs. Uh, when folks ask me why their plants are a third the size of mine, the first thing I ask them is where their water is coming from. Uh, and I recommend to folks when growing cannabis to use captured rainwater, if possible, to water their plants. I've been doing so for years with great success. The downside to rainwater is that it contains no minerals. I add CalMag to my rainwater before watering, and this works great for me. I really think you should add a disclaimer around using tap water and leaving it out overnight. I would encourage folks to find out what their local utility is using to treat the public water. If it's chlorine, leave it out overnight. Uh, and that will suffice if it's chloramine. This practice will not work. And in fact, if left out long enough for the chloramine to dissipate fully, harmful chemicals can be left behind. Um, also, regular carbon filters do not effectively remove chloramine from the water. Uh, you need special catalytic carbon filters to effectively remove it. Uh, one great method of removal is one can neutralize chloramine with vitamin C. Uh, 1,000 milliliters of powdered vitamin C about a quarter teaspoon in 30 to 50 gallons of water will neutralize the chloramine in about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, vitamin C has no ill effect on your plants. Uh, so if one has chloramine, simply fill a vessel with water, uh, add some powdered vitamin C, let it sit a bit, and you're good to go. Anyway, I hope this is helpful. Thank you for your great podcast, Jonathan. So uh, that is super helpful, Jonathan. I think that's a really great a uh, tip for people just um you know on the basis level the fact that um the water could be the problem because a lot of times people have you know ne necrotic spots and and leaf damage and they don't know what it's causing it and a lot of times it is the quality of the water and everybody's water is different so you kind of have to know is it well water you know what is my utility adding to it um and your advice about uh, rainwater is interesting too um, one of the downsides to rainwater is that the pH can be very, you know, it could be acidic, you know, as people talk about acid rain. So you, you, you know, you sometimes do have to adjust, uh, but that's something people use. Like if you have carnivorous plants, um, you know, I, I, which I've had in the past, uh, you know, as house plants, um, Venus flytraps and, and such, they need, uh, you know, basically nothing in the water 
And so rainwater is essential because, um, you know, tap water will kill them. So uh, it's interesting. And uh, again, great advice. So thank you, Jonathan, for that uh, uh, tip about uh, chlorine, ammonia, and and chloramine and, and how to get rid of it and how to know whether, you know, whether the problem is your water. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that. And uh, he also, in a separate email, weighed in on um, our take on on using urine to feed plants, which we did in our Stoner Fact Check uh, in episode 26. And he said, uh, don't be so negative about using urine as a fertilizer. If it's not for somebody, okay, don't use it. But I have to say, I use urine in my veg fertilizing regime with fantastic results. I don't use it every watering, that's not a good idea. I alternate with other nitrogen fertilizers. Also, the effective ratio is not 100 to 1 water to urine. Uh, the effective ratio is between 10 to 1 up to 3 to 1. So another tip from uh, from Jonathan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> there is, you know, urea does contain nitrogen. So. Yeah. All right. So thank you uh, for all that, Jonathan. Let's move on to Chad. And he had a couple of, uh, of questions here. First, uh, he wrote, Hey, I was wondering about the science of holding in an inhaled hit. Uh, how long does it need to be held to get the maximum effect of the THC? An age-old question. Interestingly, uh, Chad wrote this about an hour after Dan and I recorded our stoner fact check last week. So we must be on the same wavelength or something. But we did answer that very question in episode 26. If you missed that, Chad... Uh, we think, what is it, about three seconds for the THC to be absorbed into the lungs? Yes, approximately three seconds. So holding it in is, is not a great idea. And I think, we, you know, we can get Dr. Mitch to, to, to weigh in on this as well. We probably should, yeah. It's a good idea. Uh, but let's do another question from Chad. Uh, he writes, Hey guys, as always, thank you so much for your expertise. Uh, my question has to do with increasing the amount of flower time if the plant is stressed. For example, my pH fell out of balance on my pen and was unaware to me for about a week, a week and a half. The plant got kind of crispy and dry, which I thought at first was just a nutrient burn, so I backed off on food. Anyways, I know that I've lost at least 10 days worth of flour in my 8 to 9 week cycle. My question is, is there any way to make up for that lost flower time, or will the plants naturally go longer to grow bud? So uh, what, do, what do you think there, Dan? Uh, yeah, there's really no way to make up for that lost time because any time that the plant takes, um, you know, to be stressed and then recover from that stress is not time that it's, uh, you know, building, uh, flowers. So basically those 10 days are, you know, kind of wasted, uh, in, you know, the, the, you know, the pain and the recovery periods of you know having that ph be out of balance and and the crispy and dryness that you're talking about um so yeah if if if, if it's a 90 day you know flowering cycle and uh you have 10 days that you lost then now it's a 100 day flower cycle and you know it could take even longer sometimes to recover uh than the 10 days you think um because you really it's really tough for plants to bounce back after some serious trauma uh, in some cases, you know, I would recommend just starting over. Uh, but if you think that you've, you know, you, you're uh, turned a corner and, and things are getting better, and then you just factor those extra days into your uh, flowering time, and, and there's really no way to make up for that lost time. All right. Well, thank you, Chad. We hope that helps. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. 
As always, if you have a question that you would like answered on this show, uh, get in touch with us. You could email us at info at growbudyourself.com. What do you say we take a little break, come back and wrap this up? Sounds great. All right, welcome back. And I think this is the time in the show where we wrap it all up. Uh, I like to wrap it up and and fire it up and take a hit. I want to thank DJ Jacques and Winstrong, of course, Um, Addison DeMora, uh, the interview, Uh, Excelsior Extracts, uh, Vapor.com. Remember, code GBY at Vapor.com gets you 15% off anything on the site uh that includes all the new uh puffco peak pros and all the things that are you know very desirable right now so uh check them out be sure to use that code and uh yeah excelsior extracts uh the pain relief rub follow them on instagram at excelsior extracts we, we should also mention um uh, listeners might remember we had chanel Lindsay on a couple episodes ago and uh, if anyone was interested in those Ardent devices, the Nova that she spoke about or the brand new FX, uh, they can get $30 off those Ardent products. So go over to the website, check out Ardent, and you could use the code GBY30 and get $30 off there. Yeah, that's awesome. Check them out. And uh, all right. Well, there you have it. Episode number 27. I say uh, let's put it in the books and we'll be back next week with much more Grow Bud Yourself. Yourself.